Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for family. Thank You for dying on the cross for my wretched sins. God, I pray that You would do two things tonight. That You would open our hearts and minds and cause us to hear Your Word and that You would open Your Word to us. And that, Lord, You would not allow Satan to have an interception by letting distractions and sins and my preaching stand in the way. But Lord, bless us and give us uh, the opportunity to become more like You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, Don and I attended a church that we loved. This was a church that had small groups. They did one-on-one discipleship. They were big in making a difference in the community around them. And they loved preaching God's Word. Uh, This was a great church. But as all of us, we all have quirks. Raise your hand if you don't have quirks. Mm -hmm. All right. Joey, next week we're talking online. We all have quirks. And one of the quirks that my brothers, the pastors of that church had, was they decided one time they were going to preach through Matthew. That's not the strange thing. I've been doing it since 2012. (laughs) The strange thing was they did it in 28 weeks. Obviously, I'm not on staff at that church. (laughs) I mean, I love these guys, uh, but just so you know, my first sermon was in October of 2012. Yes, we have been back and forth on and on. But now we are preparing for a sprint to the end. I intend to be done with Matthew by June. Yeah, which year? Thank you. I heard that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I intend to be done before June 1st because uh, we will be starting a new series in Colossians and I intend to finish Colossians before September 1st. So be in prayer for my soul and our collective brain. But you know what's really great is... This is a family. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you right up the front, this is a catch-up sermon. This is not a typical sermon that you hear at Grace Baptist and uh, by any of the preachers uh, that are here. And we, in fact, I had a, a, a running title for the first several days this week. This is just Matthew 22 addenda. This is what we haven't covered and we're trying to catch up and, and make it happen. So, uh, hang in here, but you will find that I think the Holy Spirit is giving us a message through Matthew 22, and hopefully this holds together long enough to catch it. So let's look at where we've been. Way back in 2012, we saw that Jesus was introduced in chapters 1 through 4 of Matthew. It's just, who is this guy that we're going to spend 24 more chapters 
talking about. Then in chapters 5 through 7, we see Matthew giving Jesus' paradigmatic sermon. This is, this is what he preached. If you wanted to put everything that Jesus spent those three years talking about, this is it. Now, what is essential of Jesus' teaching and how we, the church, are to go about living it? Beginning in chapters 8 and 9, we meet Jesus the healer. Here he is going out among the people and healing us of our diseases. Then in chapter 10, we find him sending out his disciples to do the exact same thing. Now, in chapters 11 and 12, we begin to see some initial reaction to his ministry. There's a little bit of pushback on Jesus, and there's a little bit of confrontation going on in those chapters. Then in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus is kind of holding his cards, but he kind of puts them down. And he gives his sermon on the parables of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? What is it about? And how is it that it grows? And the hint is, it's not because you and I are so brilliant or beautiful or anything else. Because that's obviously not true. Chapters 14 to 17, we see Jesus is continuing to teach. And we also see continued opposition. And, and in these chapters, you remember there was kind of this push and pull of Jesus teaching and the Pharisees and Sadducees gearing up and obviously not liking them. So to this opposition that has been growing in these chapters, Jesus responds by word in Matthew chapters 18 and 19. And then, continue in word, but in very definite action as you see him traveling directly towards Jerusalem and the cross. We see in chapters 21 and 22, very clear opposition. Very sustained, we don't like you, Jesus. And so Jesus begins to aim very specific barbs in his teaching against those teachers of Israel who should have understood and recognized the Messiah when they saw him. He is speaking in these chapters specifically against those temple leaders and those religious leaders throughout Jerusalem and, and Israel about what it is they're missing, which we're going to finish up tonight. Next week in chapter 23, we'll see J Jesus is specifically prophesying against his agitators, and then he gives very plain, outright doom towards those who reject him as he gives his famous speech on the end times, his sermon on the end times in Matthew 24 to 25. Chapters 26 and 27 chronicle the passion of Christ and then 28 celebrates his resurrection. Now you just got all of Matthew in one paragraph. See? I'm done, right? Now tonight we are going to, to assimilate what we've done in the last couple of months in chapter 22 and preach on the two passages that we didn't. Because uh, in these last couple of months, in, in several opportunities that I've had to preach, I've taken some of these passages because they were very appropriate. So let me give an overview of this particular chapter, and then we'll see 
these specific. As I said a moment ago, in chapters 21 and 22, Jesus is returning fire, so to speak. The religious leaders, and especially the temple leaders, have been aiming at Jesus now consistently for a while, and Jesus starts to talk back. And He's upset at them because they have failed to do their homework. Because they have failed to understand the nature of the Messiah as He's revealed in what we call the Old Testament. And they failed to recognize Him as He's come and done all of these actions and spoken all of this truth about them, about Himself, and about the Kingdom of God. The key is they have not sought the Scriptures in humility Rather, these temple leaders, these religious leaders, have sought the Scriptures to the extent that they have in pursuit of their own agenda. Even worse, when they were confronted with the irrefutable evidence of the credentials of Jesus' Nazareth, they chose to seek to ridicule and entrap Him. And so, we find what we covered way back at the end of September, Matthew 22, 1-14, we gave the big idea, receive grace. You remember, it was the parable about the king who invited the town to come to his wedding feast. I'm good. I don't need it. I've got, I've got what I need. And they just turned away from him. The temple leadership thought they had an in with Yahweh because of their birth. But Jesus elsewhere has taught that God could raise children of Abraham from a stone. And they thought they had an in with Yahweh because of their works. But as we will see in just a few years, the temple is brought crashing down because as a final absolute statement, works will not cut it. Then if you remember, we did in a series on the election. And when we were doing the series on election on October 30th, I did a sermon on verses 15 to 22. And there we celebrated the fact, as Martin Luther put it, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And you remember the big idea that we celebrated that night was be subject and live free. What we find, however, in the temple leadership, what we find in those who considered themselves the betters of everyone else in the land, is that their whole manner of life was to subject those who were under them. They have zero intention of freeing people, but rather entrapping them into their own greedy mitts. That, in fact, is what we're going to see when we get to Matthew chapter 23 next week. finally, on New Year's Sunday, uh, during the a.m., you remember I preached on Matthew 22, 34-40, which is the great commandment. And we also, at the same Sunday, looked at Matthew 28, 18-20, which is the great commission. And there, if you remember, I paraphrased Rick Warren by changing his words to say, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission makes a great life. 
if you will focus your energies on loving God and loving the people around you and going and making disciples of all the nations, you will live a great life no matter what it is that you sacrifice along the way, including seeing Super Bowls on Sunday nights. Amen. I knew I could count on you, Chet. Now, that only leaves two passages in this particular chapter to finish our chapter. But you'll see that they tie nicely together because I think Matthew, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, wrote these so that we could understand them together. And here is the big idea. Humble yourself before God's Word. Humble yourself before God's Word. Turn off your ego. Go to God's Word. Dig in it so that you can rip from it the jewels and the gems and the gold that are in it that will feed your soul. Because if like the temple leaders, you just go... If you just go to God's Word and let the words pass under your eyes... I think you're doing positive harm to your soul. Far from getting a checkbox so you could say, oh, I did my quiet time today, check. If all you're doing when you open God's Word is let the words pass under your eyes, you are positively doing harm to your soul because what you're saying to your soul is that I don't need it. I'm good. I've got this life thing. And that will be a trail. That will be a problem for you. The Pharisees refused to humble themselves to God's word because they erected whole libraries of interpretations around it so they would be protected from breaking it. Which is why Jesus chided them, You leave the commandments to God to hold to the traditions of men in Mark seven eight. The Sadducees, on the other hand, protected themselves from the Bible by denying anything not written by Moses. And as we see, they didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why they were sad, you see. <laughs> last week, the big idea, or one of the, one of the big ideas that I said last Sunday morning was how you read the Bible is the most important thing about you. How you go to God's Word and let it bathe you and refresh you and strengthen you is the most important thing about you. So let's look at these next two interactions with his opponents, the Pharisees and Sadducees, to show that Jesus believed the same thing. I'm going to read verses 23 to 28. The same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, which is why they're Sadducee. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife shall they be? For they all had her. Now, clearly, this is a setup. They're just mocking Scripture, and they're mocking this idea of a resurrection. Even if such a thing could happen, seven brothers marry this one woman, and they all die, and lastly, she dies. 
The point isn't that it happened. The point is they wanted to make Jesus look ridiculous. Which, by the way, is also what you see from both people on the right side of the aisle and people on the left side of the aisle in your Facebook posts. There isn't an argument for learning. It's just for ridicule. Start in verse 29. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's look at how Jesus responded. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus doesn't pull punches. Mr. Nice Guy is not showing up today. I love C.S. Lewis's words that Benji quoted several times today. God is, oh my goodness, um, not safe. God is not safe, but He is good. That's right. The last thing these well-respected temple leaders expected was to be told that they don't know the Bible or God. But clearly this is true because what the Sadducees are doing is they're pulling out a passage about leveret marriage which had nothing to do with resurrection, had nothing to do with God Himself, but had to do with marriage. And they used it uh, for this jumping off point. In other words, they're proof texting. They're just trying to make the Bible say what they want it to say. Don't be a Sadducee. Don't be a Sadducee. Make sure that when you're quoting the Bible, you're quoting it as it's meant to be understood. Because if you start pulling Scripture out of context from where it's found and the simple meaning that's there, then you are on very shaky ground. Instead, humble yourself before God's Word. We Christians, and I'm pointing as many fingers at myself as I am at anybody else in this room, we Christians find it easy to just pull apart what's going on in Scripture to make our argument. Don't do it. Even if it means you don't win the argument in front of you because you don't get to quote this great verse, go back and make sure that that's what it means. If God wants you to say it, He'll give you another opportunity. God's cool like that. Jesus continues, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, in defense of the Sadducees, this is new information. As far as I can tell, Jesus is actually given revelation here, which of course he has the right to do because he's God the Son. And we learn two things. We're not going to get hitched in heaven and angels don't get hitched. That's it. We don't learn anything else. That's what we find out. We're not going to get married. Now clearly, where the Bible teaches the equality between the sexes, the point being made is that we are all equal before the Lord. It does not mean that we are not male and female as our culture wants us to believe. What does that mean for how we're going to relate in the new kingdom? I don't know. It means we're not going to be married. There you go. 
The big idea that Jesus wants to give the Sadducees is that there is a resurrection and that they should know that there's a resurrection coming because he's quoting from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, which is in the Pentateuch, which is the only Bible that the Sadducees recognize. And what does he say? As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Clearly now, the intent of the passage that Jesus is quoting from is to say something about the living God. If you remember, Moses is trucking along and he's got his staff in hand and he sees this bush. Dude! The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed by the flame. Yes, I think Moses said, dude. And he, he says, man, this is amazing. How does this happen? And God speaks to him from the bush. And the point that God is making as he's speaking from the bush is to be a self-revelation of the person of God. He is, among other things, teaching Moses about himself and how he rules the universe. Now, this is going to be very important because right after this story, he starts marching back to Egypt and has to stand up against the greatest king of the world at the time. So he needs to know that God has got his back. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. The people showed up. You can kind of imagine this. You know, you get your work done. You come into town at the end of the day. And, you know, there's no Super Bowl on television. There's no television at all. So what are you going to do for entertainment? Well, you're going to stand around and you're going to watch the learned people debate. Oh, this is kind of cool. Let's see what these guys say back and forth. And I could go back and, and we could talk about this for the next week. Kind of like, you know, standing around at the water cooler in the office and talking about what happened on TV last night. So, what we find is that these guys were clearly expecting the temple leaders to rip this poor little fisherman, carpenter, excuse me, carpenter from a small podunk town. They expected him to rip him to shreds. And guess what? The little guy won. Whoa! This is amazing. They weren't ready for Jesus to put him them down. Now, you know, we kind of have a parallel to this situation found in the first century Palestine today. We have our own little watering hole. We have our own little town square and it's called television or internet. And we have these little talking heads and they spout off whatever it is that they're going to spout off. And we sit there and we drink our Coke and we eat our popcorn and we have this great conversation the next day about whatever our celebrities are saying. But of course, we are so much more enlightened. We are so much you know, cleverer about how the world works. So we have Sarah Silverman stand up and say how the military ought to have a military coup against our president because that would be a good idea. 
the temple leaders and our own celebrities, whoever they are, have proven once again how you read the Bible is the most important thing about you. Therefore, my friends, humble yourself before God's Word. Humble yourself as you go to God's Word. Read it to find out what it says, not to put your own ideas in on it. My friends, that is a hard thing to do. Because we've all been in Sunday school classes and we've all been to various classes and heard sermons and we like our preachers and we like our preachers. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And well, Paul said this and Apollos said that and John Piper said this and John Wesley said that. Listen, I'm not telling you to don't I, I, go to Piper mostly and others. But... Um, but don't just take their word for it. Go to God's word for yourself and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it so that you can understand it. Don't let the cultural elite and their biblical illiteracy stunt your soul. We'll see in the next part what the temple leaders were doing and we haven't got to them yet. But if you simply go to Breitbart or to Slate and you don't read your Bible, then you're not going to understand what's going on in the culture. Breitbart, Slate, all of the things in between, they are not going to give you a real understanding of what's going on in the culture. Not even close compared to this. Now, are you going to know about you know, the verbal vomit from Sarah Silverman? Eh, maybe not. Do you want to know that? Or would you rather know the truth as it is spoken by God's Word? Humble yourself from God's Word, before God's Word. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you read and know your Bible well, you'll be able to answer everyone's objections. If you know and understand and live what the Bible is teaching, you will not necessarily win the argument. In fact, it's not that many weeks after this particular day when everyone was astonished at Jesus' teaching that they put Him on boards and left Him in the sun. He didn't win that argument either. But Good Friday became the best day that ever happened in the universe. Amen. Thank you. Now let's wrap up our chapter. Verse 41. We were talking about the, the Sadducees. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. What's happening here? Jesus, number one, turns, turns the tables. He starts asking questions. Remember, there's a difference, though, between 
asking questions. How will this be, Lord, since I am a virgin? And questioning. Questioning is when you're trying to trip someone up. But Jesus takes and He turns the table and He asks them a question. Because He wants to draw them in. But their view of Scripture was limited in how they saw the coming Messiah. And that vision was faulty. They couldn't make sense of how a son could be called Lord by King David. I mean, dude, this is David we're talking about. Who would David call Lord? Now, you and I know what they didn't. They didn't understand that David's son would also be God the Son. But they should have asked. They should have humbled themselves before the Word of God in this case, living and incarnate, and said, how does this work, Jesus? But instead, no one asked him any questions. I think that can be understood in two ways. No one questioned him anymore. Ha, we're going to trip you up. But no one asked him, what do you mean by that, Jesus? Help me understand. I think if they would have done that, like Nicodemus, Jesus would have explained it. Our big idea today is how you read the Bible is the most important thing about you. But I think the biggest problem that we have, like the Pharisees, like many in the temple leadership, is that we have come to God's Word with our own agendas and we refuse to give it space that we need for it to speak to us. You and I need to be warned by this passage away from thinking, I've got all the answers. Because you don't. Now, you believe in the One, you trust the One who does have all the answers, and I believe that the answers are here, but I can also, in humility, approach those in the culture around us and say, let's find out together. Rather than trying to make believe I have all the answers. Humble yourself before God's Word. Go to God's Word and listen to what it says. And read it to know Him and not just to browbeat anybody about anything. Humble yourselves before the Word of God. Lord, as we turn now to communion, I pray that You would indeed humble us once again before Your Word. And help us, Almighty God, to know You in it. Because You are what we need to know for Your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of Your kingdom. Amen.